it's Jed Banger's Ball. Welcome back. It's a new year, new show. We didn't get to do too many uh, earlier, so uh, we're starting off a little bit late this year. Uh, just with traveling and with the holidays and trying to pin people down. Been emailing everyone and they're all traveling or they're finishing records, you know. Today on the show, though, we have Mish Wei from the band White Lung. One of the uh, best live bands out there going right now, and and they kick ass on record as well. I've seen them a few times. Uh, she always puts on a great show, and uh, as you'll hear in the interview, she's uh, she's not shy in the interview process as well as on stage. It's been a rough start to the year for everyone. Uh, I just want to talk about it real quick. Um, you know, every Christmas Eve for the last four or five years, my girlfriend and I have been going to the Rainbow Room on Sunset Boulevard to see if Lemmy was there. And if he was there, to buy him a Jack and Coke. And he was never there. But when you go there, you have to pay $10 to get in, and it gets you two drinks, or a drink with each ticket. So we would always end up just sitting there drinking the Jack and Cokes at 1 in the morning on Christmas Eve and wondering where Lemmy was. And this year, we didn't end up going. We were giving people a ride, and we just we decided that we weren't going to go and that he probably wouldn't be there anyways. And then two, two days later, I found out that he'd passed, and he was a huge influence on me. Uh, I saw Motorhead play, and I want to say 99 in Seattle. They were on tour with Hatebreed and the Dropkick Murphys, which was a really weird bill, and I think it was a weird time for Motorhead. I don't think they were like as popular or revered as they are now, and... I remember sitting through Hatebreed and Dropkick Murphys and they were fine. I didn't give a shit or whatever, but Motorhead comes out and within the first note, they blew the PA out and the rest of the show was just Lemmy screaming through these destroyed speakers with just all this hiss and distortion on top of it and it just, it was pretty fucking heavy. And it's pretty fucking heavy that he's gone. And we lost a lot of good people. David Bowie, Glenn Fry. I I don't know. I, I it, it, It's tough for uh, to lose your heroes like that. And, you know, I... What's that? The drummer from Mott the Hoople. Yes, Adam's telling me the drummer from Mott the Hoople died. Are, are there Dallas Taylor? I know. It, I, I I fear that by the time I finish this intro, someone else will have died. So I'm just gonna wrap it up now and let's talk to Mish Way. So, where were you, where were you born? I was born in actually North Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada. Um, so I'm Canadian. Is that is North by Stanley Park? Is that no? Okay. Total opposite. North Vancouver is like northeast by the mountains 
towards like Whistler. No. Other side. <laughs> okay. Other way. It's okay. Um, but yeah, that's where I'm originally from. I mean, I, I love Vancouver. I, we, we used to love going up there and playing shows from coming from Seattle. Because mm-hmm. it was just like a short trip. Yeah. And it was like, you know, automatically you're, you're in a different country. Well, and the beer's um, stronger. It is? Yeah. I, I remember like people showing up at parties like, well, but you had to go to like a special store mm-hmm. to get beer though, because people would show up at parties with like weird kind of low alcohol beer really late at night because, or someone would drive up with beer and sell it to the people. Yeah. It's a coveted thing because you can only buy it at beer and wine stores, which usually close at 11. You can't buy beer at like grocery stores and you know, the seven. Still? I think they just recently changed that now they're going to start putting it in some grocery stores, someone was telling me, but there's still going to be a time, you know, like a, it'll stop at a certain time. And also alcohol is so expensive there. So It's like, crazy expensive. Yeah, so beer. people don't like, you know, you have a party here and you buy a bunch of booze and it doesn't matter because it didn't cost anything. And then in Vancouver, people are like, these are my drinks. You don't <laughs> drink them. And it's like a big deal. If someone takes someone's booze, you're like, I'm going to fucking kill that. Like, it's so different that. I, remember, I always forget. Even when I go home, people are like, this is mine. Totally. I remember being on tour and being in, like, a gas station and trying to buy beer, and it was, like, $16 for, like, a six-pack or something like oh, yeah. that. Just crazy. Yeah, like, a cheap six-pack's ten fifty, and you're like, oh, what a score. And it's shit. Right. So don't miss that. <laughs> but... So North Vancouver, though. Yeah, North Van. And what were, what, were, what were your parents doing when, like, what do your parents do? Well, my father now is, he's worked at the same company for like, I think definitely over 30 years, just over 30 years. And he started there doing, he has a degree in graphic design. So he started doing that and then he worked his way up to being like um, VP of sales. So he's a salesman. My grandfather was a salesman too. Um, and my dad's whole thing was like, my mom really wanted to have kids, but her mother was never really around that much. So she wanted to be able to be a full-time mom. So my dad worked really hard so that she could do that. And there's four of us kids. I'm the oldest of four. Oh, wow. Brothers and and sisters? Uh, two sisters and a brother. And, um, and then on each side, like my, my father and my mother, they both have five siblings. So I have like this huge Huge family family. and everyone's really loud and like crazy. And my parents were actually just here last weekend because they came down to see Van Morrison with my two aunts. And like, I had so much stuff going on the weekend before and I was so tired. And then I forgot how much they just want to party all the time. And I was like, I'm so tired. Like I can't do it anymore, but it's great. But yeah, they're exhausting. So they're into music though. Yeah. My mom. Yeah, they are. I mean, and my, my, no one in my family is really musical, but everyone's everything is very centered around music. Right. Um, so what kind of records did they have when you were growing up? My dad's obsessed with Van Morrison. Like, okay. That's the end-all, be-all. That's, that's the number but, like, one. That's it. I know every single one of his. Like, I'll just catch myself singing along to songs of his from the 80s I don't even like, just because right. I know it. Um, but a lot of, like... Really, uh, my dad's really into like old jazz and not like jazz, but like, you know, jazz vocalists like Dinah Washington, Etta James, all those ladies and stuff. And my grandparents were too. So I grew up around a lot of that stuff. And then my uncle was like into the hard rocker, butt rock stuff, which I, we listened to at the farm and Chilliwack. Yeah, no, no, he, that was a farm back east, but he, yeah, anyways. I was pulling into the driveway last night, and it was, I was listening to some, like, deep cuts radio, and they're like, 
this Canadian band, and I was like, please be Chilliwack, please. And there and, you go. And it was totally Chilliwack. I remember when I saw the Pixies play when they did that first reunion tour, and Kim Deal came out wearing sweatpants, a Rush t-shirt, and a cigarette hanging out of her mouth. So I was just like, oh my God, that outfit's so good. <laughs> like, this is your big, re you don't care. That was great. She was she was amazing. So what, what were you, what were you into then when your when your folks were listening to that sort of did you get into that music like Yeah, I liked it all. I mean, I loved I love all those like female jazz vocalists and really and we like old blues stuff and I just that music is uh, it's about the storytelling, which is what I always loved. Dinah Washington was my favorite though. She's always been my favorite one. Um and then, you know, you just the, the funny thing about you just listen to what your parents listen to sure. until you kind of get a little older and then you start to figure something out. Totally. And then I had a cool friend in my high school was like the only, you know, kind of like punk girl there. And we became friends. And then I'd go to her house and we would just like, she would just educate me. And that's how that and start taking me to shows. And then. And what kind of stuff was she listening to? Well, it was like, we, she'd make me mix things that would have everything from, like, Misfits to, like, old Billy Joel songs. You know, it would be, like, everything. Right. And also, too, and I dated a lot of skateboarders and so and snow skate snowboarders. That was the North Van thing. Because those were, like, the rebels of North Van. Mm -hmm. um, super cool. But, um... <laughs> they were going they, to Whistler. Yeah. Well, yeah, I'll tell you about Whistler. But um, they all got their music from... They're the videos, which always kind of had the skate videos. The skate and yeah, stuff, which always that was huge for us too. Yeah, you know, like that. That that was the first time I heard the Pixies. Yeah, it was in like a Powell Peralta video, which is kind of cool. I mean, I think about that now. I'm like, oh yeah, doing a really good soundtrack for those. That's cool. Yeah, the young kids are listening to it, and you know. So you, I'm, I'm picturing you're on the couch with like a million skate bros, <laughs> and they're all sitting around watching dudes do tricks yeah. and you're like focusing in on, yeah, on the music yeah and i'm going what's that okay i'm gonna listen to that later i'll figure that out um yeah it was funny my first boyfriend was um had he was sponsored snowboarder he went on to be an artist he was a really good skateboarder too now he like studies painting in england but he lived in this house it was like the four guys and they were all sponsored so they shoved him up to whistler okay you got a snow snowboard every day and so we'd go stay up there. We'd drive like my friend Christie's old tempo. And it was like four men in a two bedroom house. And they always had all their like girlfriends around. It was just absolutely disgusting. I think the house was called the Trail of Puke because there was this side where you'd barf. I, th I, I remember I projectile vomited on that bathroom door. I'll never forget. I was waiting and I was like, so I just need to barf so bad and was banging on the door. And the girl wouldn't come out and just barfed all over the door. Every punk house has to have a name. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Everyone, every punk house does. I'm trying to think of like. Ours in Seattle was the goat house. That was the big one. There's still a really cool one in Seattle that my friend Courtney's, she's friends with all those Taco Cat girls, and I guess some of them live there or something. Do you know this house I'm talking about? It's all painted all crazy on the I don't know. I haven't I haven't been up there in that scene for a yeah, long time. Yeah, but. I mean, uh, we, I, I didn't go there, but we were partying one night when on the tour last, the one tour we did last year, we took like the whole year off, but our bass player who was playing with us, Lindsay, went and she was... She didn't come from that. She was really excited. She was like, oh, my God, it's so fun. Yeah. I think it was just, like, pink and glittery on the inside. That's probably why she liked it. Nice. <laughs> yeah. So when did when when did you start going 
to shows from finding out about this music? Like, what? Um, when I was probably like sixteen, because there was a right now in Vancouver. I mean, from what I know, it's really it's really hard to do um, all ages shows. But right back in when I was a teen, it was a lot. There was a lot more places to do it. Now, when you do it, it's an illegal venue. It just ends up being a booze can, and you know, it's not that X on your hand, and you just watch. You know what I mean? Yeah. I think they put. I don't remember what it was. It was a few years ago, but they did something where you couldn't have, because they do. When I was young, it was like you could go to this venue and you'd get your okay. I'm not of age to drink stamp, and then you'd still be able to watch the show with everyone else who was drinking. But they don't. I don't think they do that anymore. I remember there was like a big uproar. I remember. Which when, is so stupid. Yeah. I mean, I remember when we were going there, it was weird because I remember the shows started early and ended late. Or, or I mean, ended early, like, and yeah. then it was always a scramble to, like, find another bar to go to. Yeah. Because you could also drink when you're 19 there. Yeah. So, so you could go to bar. Is that still the case, yeah. too? Yeah. It varies from province to province, but BC is 19. So it wasn't, I mean, I guess when you're 16, though, you're, you're still, like, trying to go to shows, but you, you you can't go to bars or whatever. So you, Yeah, I mean, and you'll, like, drink before and whatever, but... What was, this, what was the scene like, though? Was It, <sighs> it was weird, because during that time, it was, like, bands like Red Light Sting, and it was that kind of industrial, gothy electronic guitar vibe this is like early 90s no this was like this was because i graduated in 2003 so this okay. was like early 2000s okay. late that era right and then there was also a lot of um and you just go to whatever show you could right it's like take what i can get well because then when i was up there it was like the black halos were like yeah i remember it yep i remember those guys and then but then it was like Steve McBean started doing like that whole Black Mountain thing, and then this like hippie-ish sort of sweep came through, and then then there was the whole emergency room scene, which was what we were a part of, which was this venue called the Emergency Room, and it was just all these punk bands because we all ended up practicing there, and then that kind of became uh, it became a show space, and then it became a party space, and then eventually it got um, shut down. That's where you guys kind of started, started though. Yeah, we yeah. played our first show there in um, like a meat locker room, way a million years ago. Right. What year was that? Two thousand six. But then, so the band originally started with Anne Marie, who's the drummer, and my best friend, and myself, and these two other girls. And Anne Marie is also from what band was she in? She was in Riff Randall's. Baboom. Yeah. <laughs> Told my boy that I didn't want to go out. I know all the Refrendal songs. I, I used to see them, too, a lot, too. And they I, came down with, uh, I think I saw them play with Nardwar. Yeah, probably. Which is why I said Baboom. Pro but. Probably. And they all wore um, matching outfits. Yeah, yeah. Kathy, who sings that band now, she's um, married to this uh, really funny guy named KJ, who was in another, like, poppy Canadian band called Chicks Dig It. Oh, I love Chicks Dig It. Yeah. yeah. So they have, like, two really cute kids and live in Calgary now. But um, So Anne-Marie was in that band. I met her because she was in some other band called Nons, and we met and started White Lung. And so we had these other two girls, and we, like, just played locally, whatever, like, put out a couple seven inches and didn't really do anything, you know. We fought, like, not Anne-Marie and I, but the fighting from everyone else. And then in 2009, Kenny joined, 
our guitar player Kenny, and he was like t- twenty at the time. Um, so then we molded him into the damaged person that he is now from being in a band with three women who are older than him. And right. Yeah, but I mean, like, we didn't really take anything too seriously for a long time. Was it was White Lung your first band? Yeah. You'd never been in a band I before? I played in some crappy bands with, um, like, my, my boyfriend at the time and a friend of mine, and we'd do a little... Th- but nothing serious. I mean, we play like, two shows. I had a band when I lived... I went to, Vic- uh, to Victoria to go to school for a year. Had a band there, but it was, like, never... Never did anything, but White Lung was like my first, okay, this is what I want to do. I'm playing with people I like. Here we go. Right. Well, it's interesting because uh, you're talking about like Riff Randalls or Chicks to Get In. This <laughs> is like this like pop punk. Yeah, that was know? like pop punky stuff. Yeah, but then. Power but, pop or power whatever you want to call it. Power it pop. It's pop. Yeah, it's pop. It's pop with guitars and, mm-hmm. and, and it's cool. And I mean, I think Chicks to Get is actually like, it, I mean, it's a retarded name, but. <laughs> a really like Sorry, kind of guys. underrated band. Yeah. Like I, I heard them. Uh, I was working at Sub Pop, and I think that we put out a record by them, maybe. And uh-huh. I listened to it, and I was actually really kind of impressed by it. But that's the funny thing when you have a name that's kind of off-putting to certain people. I mean, you know, like you're like that name. I would if I saw that name, I probably would have been like, Meh, I don't really care. Yeah, but. You know, it all depends. It's who, it's whatever. I just thought it was kind of a to. dorky yeah. name, but there's a good band. I'm though. sure there's a really stupid, funny story behind it. I'm sure it just got to the point where it was too late to change it, too. Yeah, that yeah. doesn't that happen a lot? I think so. Yeah. I feel like that kind of happens, and then yeah. you're stuck. Yeah. Like, um, I had this group in um, Vancouver with some other people from different bands, and we named it. We were, we we would do like drunk practices every Friday, and like we need to drink a forty. It was so stupid. But that band was called Eating Out, which was. The, I was like, why did we pick that name? Like I couldn't even remember. And we were all like, that's it. That's the name. And then it just started going around, and I was like, that was a really dumb name because googling it is come on. Yeah. You know, like yeah, it's brutal. It's a dumb name, but it was funny. Well, what were you guys like listening to? Because what I'm getting at is, you guys, I, I don't know if you were into this, but they were obviously like, or Anne Marie was into more of like a pop sort of punk thing. So then to go to White Lung, which to me sounds kind of like old hardcore, but with like kind of like a 90s kind of aesthetic, yeah. and there's like a grunge element to it. Too. It's very Northwestern, yeah. for one. Well, I think that has a lot to do with my delivery. I mean, Kenny, the music that Kenny likes and listens to could not be further from that. I mean, he does like Alice in Chains a lot. But, um, and Anne-Marie, Anne-Marie was worked at a record store for as long as I can remember. She was like the scary hot witch at the record store where the guys would all be nervous to take their records up. Like, oh, she's going to judge me. Um, and she has a huge collection. Her taste is really wide. Um, yeah, and I mean, we just bonded over the things... Amory and I bonded over the bands we liked, which were a lot of 90s bands. We also really like Oasis. We really like the Wipers. We liked a lot of the same punk stuff. But mostly that we both liked bands that had a real pop sensibility to them. Like, to me, White Lung just sounds like pop done at the speed of hardcore. Right. It's still pop. Right. It's super catchy. Right. For Well, you'll see on the new album. But um, you know what I mean? Like, we all like liked those 
elements of songwriting, like having those sensibilities. Well, Nirvana, I mean, that's kind of that whole Seattle grunge thing. I mean, those bands, I think, became huge because they were, they had like catchy songs, even if they were like really distorted, gnarly guitars and vocals or what. Yeah, exactly. It's still just, it's just a catchy little ditty for the most right. part, you know, even like Misfits songs, if you slow them down. Those are and, super catchy Come songs. on. It's like you, it's, it's just, that's, that's what makes a good song. Right. And just finding new ways to do that. Sure. That's what I think, but. And when you started the band, were you like, I'm going to be the singer and you're going to be the drummer? And like, how did no. you guys sort that out? I actually played guitar when the band first started and Anne-Marie knew I could play guitar and she it was a drummer. And then we knew this other girl who played bass who ended up staying in the band for a while and we kicked her out a few years ago. But um, we were just like, because the scene's small there. So we're like, this person we know is good. They'll come do this. And. I started playing guitar, and then we had this girl, Natasha, playing guitar who was amazing. And I was like, well, I don't want to play. At the, right. What's the point of me doing stupid rhythm behind? She's going to do all the cool stuff. She's better than me. I'll just sing, and I just want to focus on that. And right. then I just kind of ditched it. Like, the first couple shows we did, I was playing guitar, and then I just was like, this, this is pointless. What made you pick up the guitar, though, originally? Um, I had always been really musical and always wanted to play, and I think when I was, like, 14, I just asked if right like can I have a guitar and um started playing and pra like I played so much and practiced so hard I, I've lost all my skills I mean I'm a pretty okay bassist but like I can't play the way I used to on guitar because you don't practice right you know um how do you write now then do you Kenny and I write together yeah so does he come up with like guitar parts initially and then you put vocals to that or he'll have a uh he'll go okay i've got these three parts here and send them to me and then i'll think about them over and over and like then when we all come together we'll work on it but a lot of i mean because we only hire like a touring basis we don't have a permanent basis. you don't have a bass player we don't have a permanent one we haven't for three years since we kicked our basis out we just have people that come on tour um so we write just the three of us, and Kenny writes all the bass parts. Right. So sometimes, you know, we'll be practicing, and I'll play the bass, and we'll work on that, and then blah, 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 blah. But it's a really patchwork process that, I mean, this neck, this record that's coming out this year, I can't really talk too much about it yet, but the, a lot of stuff gets done in the studio because of that. Right. Which I like better. Yeah. Than I just playing live off the floor. I mean, it creates a completely different writing process. I remember reading something about like Jell Biafra would hum the song to the band. Like, he'd show them that this is where he was going. Like, <laughs> like hum the guitar parts to them, and then oh, and would, then they'd do it. Oh, that's kind of cool. I just always, I always think about that. Like, I've because always, he couldn't really transpose it himself, so because he, he didn't yeah. play, I guess you know. But I've always like been kind of fascinated with the idea of, of being in a band where you just sing. Yeah, and how do you? If if you don't play an instrument, how do you write the songs? Or yeah, I mean, uh, my ability to play very minimal guitar and bass does not come into my writing process that much. Right. You know what I mean? It's not like I'm. I just listen to the song and listen to what they're playing and make it up. Like it's just I don't know. You just do it. It just. But there has to be something to start with. I don't think I've ever said to Kenny, like, okay, I have this chorus idea and gone and sang something and then been like, okay, work around it. I mean, we've had stuff where 
later i my melodies become really strong and and it doesn't work with what he's doing so we change that part of it but nothing like you know what i mean but you're a writer yourself you like write for writing writing yeah a journalist mhm and so i would imagine that lyrics are probably pretty important to you yes. being a writer yeah and so do the words come first and then you put that to music or does uh, it like the melody spur ideas for lyrics? Well, usually when I, as soon as one record's done, I'll start a new book. Like I'll have a, a book, an actual book mm -hmm. and just write down little ideas and little, you know, poems for lack of a better word, like just ideas. And keep doing that consistently. So when it comes to, comes the time that we're actually constructing songs, you know, I have all these things that I'm already working with in these phrases. And obviously, there are certain words that lend themselves when you're hearing a riff. And and then you work it around that. Um, I mean... And there's a lot of words that you just can't even use. Because yeah, that they don't... Don't, they, they don't sound good. They don't come out. That's why you hear so many songs with baby in them and things like that. Yeah, there's certain words that are hard to sing and make it sound good. But yeah, lyrics are really important to me. And I... So I, mean, you I just appreciate kind of, good lyrics. Sure. Yeah. And, and that's what I wanted to ask you. Uh, are there people then that you're influenced by? Because obviously, like, I, th I think of, like, as a guitar player or whatever, like, there's guitar players that I, like, yeah. really like to listen to and kind of figure out what they're doing. Like, are there, like, lyricists or singers that you look to for inspiration as far as, like, the way they write or what they write about or... Um, it depends. I mean, usually because, like, I have all the people that I loved when I was young, and you still have your staples that you're always going to go back to, but I really, I really get inspired more by when I'm writing lyrics, reading, uh, other, reading books. Yeah. Um, and reading about people that I like, especially rock bios. I love reading rock bios. And then just... You know, because, like, I feel like with music, if you you go, okay, these are my five things I like, or these are my five people I love, then you're stuck in that. I'm always trying to listen to more and more sure. and more and more, and because there's so much music out there. Right. I'm really into right now, um, my husband got me this record that it's this, so this is a series of compilations of, like, it's all, like, old country music, and but really weird stuff, so, like... The first record is all about, um, they're like old weird singles that never went anywhere. Like there's one song called Please Don't Go Topless Mother. It's like a six-year-old begging his mom to not be a stripper anymore. Right. It gets really cute. And there's a really funny song called I Hate Men by this woman that sings like she has a child's voice. And right. like just all these weird songs about truckers. And then the second compilation is all prison songs and... There, there were I these, love that storytelling. They're aspect. like these old country songs. I think they call them splatter platters, which are like uh, just country songs, like really brutal country songs about death yeah. and dying. And mm -hmm. one of my favorites is this one called uh, Please Don't Smoke in Bed. And it's a song oh. about this kid who was smoking a cigarette in bed and he fell asleep and he burned the house down and yeah. killed his parents. <laughs> yeah, but that, I love those because those songs are so b literal and blunt. And and I mean, I found this whole whack. I, I found this, this song by Wendell Austin called LSD. And it's like a warning about how LSD ruined all his marriages. And then he killed his wives because they drove him nuts because he was high on LSD. 
And then I found all these other songs that are, were all just, you know, like by random people. You look them up. They did one seven-inch, sure. like two singles, whatever. But there are these crazy songs that are so they're so cool. I don't know. I really like that song. I, I feel like that's a lot of that. Th- th- there isn't a lot of that anymore these days as far as like... You can't talk s- about anything anymore. Yeah. Why is that? Because there's been a massive resurgence in PC. I don't know. And everyone's worried about making everyone offended or... I don't know. I don't know. Or maybe because there's... I don't know. I don't know. What do you think about... I mean, what do you think about that with, like, PC music? I mean, I guess it's a pretty open-ended question, but... I'm actually going to um, Larry Flint's office next week to interview him about this, which I'm very excited about. Cause I used to like, work for him. At did Hustler. you? Yeah. I'm so... What did you do? I was... I'm excited to meet him. I want to talk to him about this, but I don't know if his brain's still going to be there. Uh, I don't... It probably won't be. Oh, um, no. And my girlfriend, Jess, who's the, you know the producer of this yeah. show, she used to write for them, too, yeah. you know, back in the day. Because I think they paid really well, but yeah, I'm sure. I work when there. journalists got money. Yeah, exactly. And I I worked there as like a marketing guy. Did you like it? No. You hated it. <laughs> it was... wasn't fun. It wasn't even fun for a bit. Like kind of haha. For a little while, it was just kind of like surreal and weird. Yeah. Like you know, just uh, you know, I would be sitting at my desk and watching porn stars go down the mm-hmm. hallway or women that were trying to become porn stars, basically. Oh, yeah. Going down the hallway into this other office, which is where they would get naked for these other two girls that worked there that were, like, the talent managers. Yeah, the scouts. The scouts or whatever. And they would have to get naked in this room and take a bunch of photos. And then, like, and then they would come around the office and be like, what do you think? What do you think? Does she turn you on? How do you feel about that pose? Exactly. And it's just funny. And but you're in this like office. Yeah, like bright (laughs) office lighting. Have you been there? Was it? No, I'm going there. Was it bright office lighting? No, it's like crazy, like oil paintings and like gold everywhere and like marble and like beautiful. I don't know. How did you get that job? What was the interview like? Well, I got I got it off Craigslist. I really needed a job. That was so weird. I had marketing experience. working at a record label. And I applied, and I ended up having to interview like multiple times. And I, I'm sure I couldn't figure out why they kept having me come back for more interviews. And when I finally got the job, the guy that hired me like a month later, he said, "Hey, you know, um, I just wanted you to know that the reason why you were interviewed so many times was because you wore jeans to the interview." Oh my god! So they were waiting to see if you'd not wear jeans. <laughs> I think so. Yeah. Did you blow it? Did you wear jeans every time? I wore jeans every time because I didn't want to. I didn't want to have a job where I couldn't wear jeans. Oh my god! And you got your way. You still got hired. I got hired, but were you then, able to wear jeans at work? No, they didn't. It was a very strict dress code, which is again adds another layer of insanity to like what that place is. You but know? I think if I was gonna go and okay, I, I'm gonna. I want to try and be. Um, a model in this kind of business. I don't want to go to an office where everyone's dressed like a bum. I would like to feel that there was a air of professionalism. That's a good way to think of it. Do you know it. what I yeah, mean? Yeah, I never thought of it that way. Like, I wouldn't really want to be like, oh, cool, I'm in the back of a nail salon where someone's cooking meth, and this is where I'm testing out to see if I'm going to be a, you know, a, a nude re- model. It's a really valid point. Right? Yeah. They, they definitely kept it, like, as professional, you know, as they could. But it would be like, you know, 10 people sitting around like a giant 
uh, like marble desk that overlooks like yeah. Beverly Hills and the Hollywood sign and stuff. And then, and then being like, um, so, uh, we're going to do, uh, black poles in white holes number 11 this yeah. week. So just, you know, can you write something up for that? Or like, you know, yeah. uh, that was part of my job was to come up with the names for the, Oh, that's a great job. That was cool. That was cool. I would have liked that. But what are you interviewing him for? Uh, I write for this men's website called Ask Men. Oh, okay. Um, and I do a lot of, like, uh, sex writing and sex beats and stuff like that and have for a long time. Um, you write for Vice as well. Vice, yeah, I have for a long time with Vice. And now I'm mostly with Broadly, which is their... Um, yeah, explain that. What is that? So Broadly was started by Shannon Kelly and Tracy Egan Morsey. And Tracy wrote for Vice a million years ago. She left and was the editor at Jezebel. And then she left there. And she, I guess she proposed to Vice, like, look, you guys have such a rep of having no female content and no female writers, which is, I mean, I... Th I don't really think I've never worked in the office there, but everyone's always like, it's a boys club. I'm like, well, okay. Right. I've never read a problem. But, um, so they proposed this site, which ended up, it's just like the, the, the female focused section of vice. Gotcha. I do. Um, I mean, I just did my first on camera thing. I have a column called, uh, muff stuff, which I did not name. Where I write a lot about like sex and test out weird new products. Actually, right now I'm trying these cannabis um, vaginal suppository things. Are supposed to kill your period cramps, and they're working. Do you have any for extra you. with you? Uh, no, they're not at for home. me. But oh, okay. Well, I, they'll give me more. Of this I've worked with this company a bunch. They're really awesome. They're called Foria, but I can bring you some. Okay. But anyway, so... Well, I read that article. You did an article about the lube or yeah, whatever. Yeah, for you, yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. That, I mean, that stuff's awesome. But yeah, so <laughs> I have that. And then doing a lot of stuff with this British site right now called Some Such, which is great. Um, but this whole year, I've just been writing because we made a new record, which right. will be out later this year in uh, sometime in the spring. And... Um, I was just at home writing. We did like one tour, a few select flyouts. That was it. Um, so I'm really looking forward to getting out from behind my computer right. and back on tour. So let's get back to the band then. So yeah. when when did you guys kind of get to the point where you're like, all right, we're going to do this as a real band and it's not just a fun get drunk at practice thing anymore and we're going to start going on tour and well, did you start going down to Seattle and play shows? Or? Yeah, we did that. Uh, I, th I think the first out-of-town show, we went to Portland and played with Pierce Garrows, and that was like a million years ago. Um, but it was like 2010, we put out our first record on this label called Deranged, this Canadian hardcore label. And our friends knew Sensei, wanted to go on a tour. We're like, all right, let's just all get in the van and do this giant tour of all of North America. It was like 61 shows in 63 days. It was ridiculous. We went everywhere. By the end, we all looked like we'd aged like five years. It was gross. It was super fun. Um, and then, I mean, even in, tw I remember in 2012, we just put out our second record, Sorry, which is the most Canadian name of all time. <laughs> Which I named, sorry. Sorry. Which I named, Why is that Canadian? Because the Canadians are always saying sorry, sorry. Oh, okay. It was apologizing. Right. I didn't even realize. We actually, our drummer, our drummer makes up all the names for our albums, and she made that up because we had just 
made enough songs for it and she was like sorry this is all we got like let's just call it sorry and i was like all right sure i love that amy schumer bit where it's just about women apologizing to yeah yeah and then that. they all explode at the end they're all on the stage like, sorry sorry <laughs> yeah but i know but, but i but i never thought of really it as a, as a canadian thing as well so you have your double yeah my double shooting myself in the foot i guess but um so i remember even in 2012 like saying to my friend sasha who was my editor at noisy at the time being like fuck this, I don't want to tour anymore, like, I'm just going to get a full-time writing job, we'll just do the band for fun, this is, I don't care, this is too exhausting, Once I'm, I'm, I'm over, I don't want to do it. And then that record did really well. And then we started, you know, getting really good festivals and getting good shows, and it's amazing how what one good review on one certain website will do for a band. And then we started making money, and I was like, all right, and then it just... Sure. Got signed to Domino. Everything changed, and I was like, "Okay, guess I'm here now." Yeah, because um, I was I didn't really want to take it seriously. Right, and I wanted to just write full time. Well, no, I wasn't even forced to. It was a b amazing, great thing that happened. But I was kind of being pragmatic and like, "All right, yeah, you know, I can do this for fun." And I can focus in on something else. At what, at what point did you guys decide then that you're going to leave Canada then and move here? Well, it's just me that moved. Oh, okay. Um, my bandmates still live there. They still live there. Yeah, and they're happy there. Right. Um, yeah. Kenny's got his girlfriend up there, very happy. And Marie's happy up there. Um, and yeah, they're totally fine. I mean, I for me, I was already working. I was freelancing for all these American companies. I was just kind of done with Vancouver. I was like, there's not really more I can accomplish here with what I want to do. And I almost went to New York because a lot of my editors were like, you should come to New York, you should come to New York. And then last minute, Heather, who was joining our band, she was leaving San Francisco, going to L.A. And she was like, just come to L.A. And then stuff started lining up, you know, and right. I was like, all right, actually, do I want to move to New York in January? Probably not. Right. So and I'm <laughs> yes, glad I came here. I mean, you know, now I'm I. I had already started my relationship with my husband, but nothing was serious. But now, you know, we're serious. Obviously, we're married. It's right. kind of as serious as you can get. <laughs> How is that? That's interesting because it's like your husband is also a singer. Yeah. In Saviors. Yeah. And he tours. Yeah. And he plays in Obliterations. Yeah. And they, I guess they're not really touring right now, but they, no. they have. Yeah. We were actually on off years. So this year that I was at home, he was doing all his tours. And then he does, they do a Europe tour in, I think he leaves in like two weeks, going, leaves on Valentine's Day, I think it is, February. And then the, right when he comes back, that's when I'm going to start. So we're on completely opposite, which sucks. Yeah. I mean, but, you know, I mean, I flew out and surprised him in um, December. I flew out and they were on tour with COC. I flew out and surprised him for his birthday, which was amazing. I like it was so good. It got him so good. It was rad. <laughs> but um, how do you I mean, that's got to be crazy, though, because you got yeah. your band members in Vancouver and your husband's like, yeah, touring. How do you do you guys all sit down and go like, this is what we're going to do? Or does it? I mean, obviously, it's. Just, not working. <laughs> yeah, I just try and plan it. Like, right now, he's going to go on this tour. I'm going to go up to Vancouver the same day, and I'll rehearse with everyone for a month. Then we'll be back on tour, and then there'll be a little break. I mean, you just... I'm trying not to think about it too much, because it... I mean, like, it can be hard. But that's the other thing. We both have toured so much and understand how it goes. And I'm not really worried. I mean, 
it sucks, but we're not going to die. No one's going to die. Right. I mean, hope not, but <laughs> that's the thought every time I'm on an airplane because I hate flying. But, um, but yeah, I mean, it's fine. Like, we just try and figure it out whenever you can go and fly and meet each other. I wish I could hire him as our tour manager, but that's not really fair. It's not fair to the other fan members, right? Not for a whole tour. I mean, if he came for like five days or a week, I don't. Th I really don't think it's fair to bring, especially since everyone in my band has a significant other sure. now. So then it's like, well, why does she get to have hers and mine's not here? And right. Like, I don't think a whole tour is fair. A week or five days or whatever, a little... I think it touring kind of takes is away from that. You're supposed to be with your band. Totally, I totally agree with you. I think touring is no like, matter how torturous that is. So okay. <laughs> exactly, but it's so much about being as like mm -hmm. fair and equal, like the whole time, just so that people don't freak out. Yeah, and just trying to keep that together, exactly. and then any like element that comes in. Yeah, and it can, and then you know, it makes everything different. But it's like I'm gonna sleep on the floor tonight, and you can sleep in the bed. Yeah. But then to say like, oh, I'm gonna bring my boyfriend on tour for a month. Yeah, it's a little bit of a different um, <laughs> thing. Gonna, I mean, sleep it's, on the floor. Yeah, I don't really think unless they're doing something. Like if it's like, okay, he's. Let's say my husband was. A professional tour manager, as well as an amazing sound guy, and he was willing to do merch. Right. All for free? Okay, but that's not the scene. That's not the story. Right. So, you know Someone what I mean? Someone would still complain. Yeah, maybe. I don't know. He's pretty... He likes to carry everything, so I don't think anyone would complain. Oh, you want to carry all the amps? Yeah, totally. <laughs> like, okay. They got a lot of amps in that band, so... Yeah, they imagine do. they're used to, like, lugging stuff around. We brought... They came on tour over the one tour White Long did this last year with us that was really funny it was saviors and white lung no, tour not together saviors, oh. obliteration oh, right. oh yeah saviors have like oh yeah mr marshall stacks yeah yeah they got all sorts of crazy gear all over the place yeah with their trailer full of crap yep they're pretty funny i they saw he was one day one time he was selling some guitars to buy a plane ticket to go meet your parents that yes was really cute he was that was really <laughs> that's, cute that's very sweet and he sold it and he actually ended up selling that guitar to his friend katie so it stayed like in the family, which is good. That's good. Because I think he had two, two of them that were the same, and one was like a gift from his father, and then one he just bought. But the this more sentimental one played worse than the. You know what I mean? So it was like, which one do I sell? Do you like touring? Yeah, I do, and I'm really looking forward to touring this um, this year. Yeah, I do, but I also. You know, I mean, in 2014, I took 65 airplanes rides, right. and I already have plane anxiety, and that stresses me out. But I do love touring. I mean, I feel really grateful to be able to do it. Totally. And, you know. Yeah, it's hard. Because there's a shelf life, too. Well, I mean, there doesn't have to be a shelf life unless you decide that there does. But I'm happy with the way things have gone, and I feel, you know, I feel fortunate to be yeah. able to do it. like it's all it's all doing all right well all you wrote that one out. article too all about touring which one was it i've written of quite a few oh the guide to touring yeah where i was talking about like germans and stuff well it's funny because we had read we had read it like right before we went to europe oh good and so did and you believe in any of the things i said totally and well <laughs> yeah because i had been on a few tours you know not as obviously not not that many long ones but i've been on like a six-week tour before and so that's you know long. that's long 
Um, it's not the longest, but it's long enough. Yeah. Um, but it was funny when we got to Germany because, like, the first thing that he'd said was, uh, he's like, oh, I don't think you should be playing that Rickenbacker bass. If yeah. You, if you were playing a Fender. Oh, yeah. It would cut through the mix this much better, you know? It's so crazy. It it makes me laugh. Like, it's really entertaining. Yeah. So we just kept the whole time. Did they say in... sleeping place to you? That's my favorite. And here's your sleeping place. I don't remember okay, sleeping place. Uh, what is that? Sounds like you're going to kill me when I get there. I don't remember sleeping place, but I remember just like quoting your article or mentioning it like a bunch of times while we were in Germany. Like, Did anyone somewhere. in your band get solicited or propositioned by a German for sex? Because that's really the comedy. No, but it's just dudes, though. I mean. Oh yeah, that's true. Yeah, I mean. It's very funny. Yeah. I, it's fun. Like, I have so many of my friends from Vancouver moved to Berlin. I think there's like 12 of them there. It's kind of nuts. Yeah. And one of my very good friends, Kate, married this German guy. And she's like, she learned how to speak the language really quickly. But now when she speaks English, on like if I hear her talking for work when I'm over there on the phone... She's speaking English to someone who's actually like ESL and their first language is German. She does this weird like accent. Yeah. But I'm like, what are you doing? I know you speak perfect English. It's really funny. I always like laugh at that. But did you have fun in Europe? Oh, yeah, it was great. But we had a similar thing in Prague where uh, my, our drummer is from Cincinnati and, and his friend from, that he grew up with moved to Prague. And he's got the... He lived there for like 10 years and was teaching English and had married a... Uh, I think... I, I actually think the girl... I can't remember if she was Czech or if she was... I think she's from Poland, actually. Oh. But they were living there together. Yeah. And he was speaking to us in English, but in, like, a weird broken English yeah. thing. Like, yeah. Like, trying to give us directions, like, to get back to the uh, hotel or wherever we were staying, you know? And mm -hmm. just like, he's like, uh, you can for to go here. Yeah, you for want to, to go. That's or a... for here, you must go here now. And we're just like, dude, you're from fucking Cincinnati. But, but, it, but I mean, I only lived in the Netherlands for a year, but I had two Spanish roommates who, who were really, like, their English was rocky. Yeah. Um, one of them grew mushrooms in the attic and he would always just say mushroom mushroom you want the mushroom all the time but you start doing that psychedelic because, mushrooms are yeah eating, yeah oh. yeah psychedelic ones um and then you just start kind of doing that so i can imagine if he's been there for like a super long time but yeah. then you're like hello right it's yeah. us you can break the habit yeah dane when the drummer was just like what the fuck is he saying like why is he talking like that four to go that is a real thing what were you say. doing in the netherlands uh, i went there to um f when i was in university when i was in I think I was like, I was almost done. I went there to do some like uh, um, graduate master level courses for like on an exchange. So I was there for a year. Oh, because my girlfriend lived there for a year too doing a similar. What city was she in? God, I don't. Uh, Utrecht? I, th I think Utrecht. Yeah, yeah, that's where I was. That's where like the school is. It's yeah. really nice there. I've been there. It's a cool. I have friends that live there. It's a really cool little, yeah. little town. It's it's so everything's in that circle. It's like super claustrophobic. Like, trying to figure out the streets was really hard. Also, I hate riding a bicycle. Oh, yeah. So being there, I was like, <laughs> fuck, this is my nightmare. You hate riding a bicycle. I hate it. I've hated it since I was a kid. I, went, I felt like I, was, I never wanted to ride a bicycle. No interest. Yet sitting on the back of my husband's motorbike is no problem. Yeah. But riding a bicycle, no. Hell no. Ugh. So well, that, that was not fun. What were you studying? I was doing there. I was doing gender studies. Okay. So, because they have really, that's their program there is really strong. Because I wondered, like, 
you mentioned that your dad's a graphic designer. He was, and okay. there was a salesman, but yes, he did do graphic. Both my parents have degrees in graphic design. But you guys, you guys had definitely like a an aesthetic with the band and and especially like with the videos and stuff. It's mm-hmm. like all like VHS kind of like grainy. Yeah. Those and then the one that Justin did last year. Um, well, okay, so this guy Justin Gradeen, who's a good old friend of ours, is an artist in Vancouver, and he's started doing our album art since the first LP. And um, he he just did all the stuff for the recent album that's coming up. And I wish I could talk about it, but I can't. I'm not allowed. My you can't tell us like when it's coming out or. Bro, oh, I'm not allowed because they're not talk doing about... the announce yet. Okay, Bailey that's fine. He was yelling at me, but um, he's the art that he's done for this time is fucking so cool. Because the last it's one's really like good. kind of like collage. Yeah, that's what. Yeah, that's his style. Right. Um, he's incredible at all that stuff. Really cool, really demented stuff, which is kind of how I like it. Because you guys seem like weird art school punks, but that's just maybe just a weird assumption no. from watching YouTube videos, you know? Anne-Marie never... I don't think Anne-Marie did post-secondary. Um, Kenny did a little bit of film school, but I don't think he finished. And yeah, I did gender studies and communications. Right. And then, yeah, that's what I did. Um, but yeah, no, no one went to art school. I think that, well, I did. I don't even think Justin went to art school who does all our art, but he's a great artist. That's cool. Yeah. What? Uh, so can we talk about like when the record was recorded and where? The last one? The one that's the, coming out. It was recorded here. I can't say by who. <laughs> it's so lame. I can't say anything. You should have had me like... In March, and then we'd be able to talk about everything. That's fine. We can we can we can do like a little update. Yeah, we can like do that. an update. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm really proud of it. I think it's yeah. I'm not I'm supposed to talk about it. Uh, it's fine. I'm sure it doesn't even matter, you know. But it's like when publicists say stupid stuff, like don't. Talk well, that's about their job. It. They have to uh, justify. They gotta keep all the excitement. Their existence. Yes. I mean, I was I did publicity for Sub Pop, so I I know. How long did you do that for? Did you like it? No, not really. I mean, I liked I liked the people there and I liked the, you know, being around music. I just wasn't very good at it. Yeah. You know, it's hard to I think when you grow up in like punk rock or you know, I didn't go to college or anything. I got hired there like pretty much out of high school. I think I was like 19 and Wow. And uh, just because I was, like, working at this all-ages place and I knew somebody that worked there and I was volunteering. It was, right. like, you know, cleaning up the – it was a place called the Velvet Elvis. I don't know if you ever remember. It was it was a Seattle all-ages club, kind of yeah. like the emergency room or whatever. But yeah. I just got a job through friends there. And, you know, now I feel like you get these people that are in the music industry that, like, went to college for that. Yeah, because that's, like, a thing it's you can It's their career, do. you know? We had a – a driver or like a TM whatever on one of our tours in England who had gone to school to be a tour manager. I was like, you're just, this is adult babysitting. What were they teaching you? Right. I was shocked. Yeah, it's insane. I I was, how, how dumb, that's dumb. That's life experience shit. You don't need to pay for that. I agree. And I think that, you know, I think that it's the same as like radio or, or whatever it is. You know, um, it's you got to you got to do it. You can't be taught in school. Yeah. And I think that that was kind of my problem well, as far as like 
you know, this wasn't the career that I was set out to do or thought about. And coming from like this punk rock thing and being very opinionated, it's really hard to like sell someone on a record that maybe you don't, you don't like, care about. So you, know? you could only have clients that you actually really kind of like. Yeah. Or else it'd be like torture for you. Yeah. This is the other thing about going to school for those things that we're talking about. Because to, to me, all like tour managing, these kind of jobs are all about your social skills and about getting to know people in a community and, and working on that. It's not like when you're a surgeon, you need to go and learn the sure. anatomy. You need to learn what you're doing or people will die. Whereas that is like, I'm sure there are some skills and cunning ways involved, but to me that just seems... It's more just about being a cool person. Yeah, and like even being a manager or anything like that. It's like just having that that certain social charm and being able to really work that. Do you guys have a manager? We just got one this year or last year. Yeah. Yeah. And he's great. Um, His name is Mark Cates. He manages like MGMT and bands like that. Um, He's been around forever. He worked at, he did A&R at Geffen in the... 90s mm-hmm. and did some other and then a bunch of other stuff. He's an older guy. But like Sonic Youth era sort of stuff. Yeah. Hole and Nirvana and all that stuff. And right. I like him. He's really nice. And um, yeah, he was cool because we met with a few other people. I was like, huh. But I was just going to say, if you worked at Subpar, did you know Susan from Domino who does Aaron now? Who is our, you know she's having a child. Uh, I didn't. Know, do you know her? You knew her? Did you know Susan? Because she was at Subpop, wasn't she? Yeah, I know her. Oh. Yeah, we used to go out. What? Yeah. <laughs> no, you didn't. I did. Yeah. How would I know? Oh my god, I'm so I'm sorry to bring this up. Yeah, I don't care. A million years ago? No, it's fine. Yeah. Hilarious. Mm-hmm. I love Susan. Okay. Yeah, she's can, great. Are you talking about something else? <laughs> I was like, what? Did you hate her? Were you making? No, 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 no. I just. I wasn't, that's funny. I wasn't expecting that. But you guys shouldn't have been dating if you were working at the same place. That's against the rules. That's the you problem, know? you know. That's, <laughs> I think that's the problem with it because, you know, we're, we're, we're friends now, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, because she's just, well, she's like my A&R person at Domino. So. She works there still. I thought she was like doing like a management thing or something. No, she's doing... I mean, I don't want to talk about her. But no, we don't like, have to. Not out of respect for her, you know. Yeah. But. No, we won't gossip about her. But yeah, but anyways, she's um, going to be taking a break soon. Well, I'll email her later today and, and tell say that Mitch awkwardly brought you up. <laughs> Sorry, whoops. <laughs> Whatever. See, but that's what I mean. This shit's all small. Why do you need to go to school for learning how to get to know the people in the very tiny music scene? Exactly. When it really comes down to it. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Well. I don't know. I think we can end on that. Yeah. Since we can't talk about the new record. <laughs> I'm sorry. We'll do an update. Yeah. We'll I check mean, in. I'll call you like when you're on tour and I'm doing the radio, the podcast or whatever. Like I can send it to you. Oh, that's fine. You... Yeah, we'll f- we'll figure it out. Cool. All right. Let's do that. Thank well, you for having me. Yeah, thanks for being on. Sorry for that weird ending. <laughs> <laughs> I should ask about all your dating paths. Oh god. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, that kind of took me off guard a little bit. Um, I'm a little flustered still. I have some emails to do later. I want to thank Mish for coming on the show. Apparently we can't talk about the new White Lung album, but at some point it's going to be out there, so look for that. Thanks always to Jessica Hundley, our producer, and Adam Wade for engineering. This is Jed Banger's Ball. I'll see you next time. <laughs>